0: Hello and welcome to the EdSurge Air podcast, a weekly look at the future of education. I'm Jeff Young. The generation of students attending college today aren't that impressed by traditional markers of authority. And they're not coming to campus to gaze up at wise leaders on a pedestal. Well, at least according to surveys. That's one reason why the president of Bentley University, Gloria Cortez Larson, invites students to call her by her first name. It's a move that President Larson... I mean, Gloria, sees as part of the university's push to make higher education more of a hybrid between immersion in the traditional liberal arts and a focus on practical skills and internships. Bentley is a bit unusual in that it's an undergraduate place focused on business, but Gloria Larson argues in her new book that all of higher education should embrace this mixture and move past the notion that a college has to focus either on liberal arts or practical workplace prep. The book is called Prepared You, how Innovative Colleges Drive Student Success. I recently talked with Larson about her new book and about what her research shows that today's students are looking for from higher education. We'll have that conversation right after this. This episode of the EdSurge Air podcast is brought to you by the EdSurge Next newsletter. Get the latest news and views about higher education technology each week. Sign up for the EdSurge Next newsletter. Just visit EdSurge.com and click on subscribe. All right, I'm talking today with Gloria Cordes Larson, president of Bentley University and author of the new book, Prepared You How Innovative Colleges Drive Student Success. Thanks for talking with us.
1: I'm thrilled to be with you. This is a terrific topic. Yeah,
0: you say today's students challenge professors like no generation has before them. What do you mean by that?
1: Well, this is a generation that grew up um, almost having adult status, even as kids. Uh, they've always been encouraged to speak their minds, um, to be authentic, um, to offer their opinions in the classroom, uh, even in K through 12. And certainly by the time they get to college, um, this is not a shy group. Um, they really encourage one another another um, in their thinking, and they encourage the adults around them. Um, I found it to be, you know, a very flattened democratic uh Uh, higher ed these days, as opposed to when I went to college and you sort of sat at the feet of scholars, that seems so much less the case now. And frankly, I think um, that faculty encourage that. They encourage that kind of open discussion where faculty can push students for their perspectives and students are willing to push back and offer their opinions. And I think that leads to that kind of healthy conversation. And that transfers into the workplace where they do obviously respect um, the titles that those ahead of them have, but at the same time, I think more and more workplaces are much more heavily into participatory democracy, if you will, um, and encourage opinions because that's what leads to enhanced innovation. So I think they're encouraged in today's marketplace to offer their opinions freely, whether they're all taken up their ideas or not.
0: And you encourage students to
1: call you Gloria on campus. I do.
0: <laughs> I don't know if a lot. Of, I don't know if a lot of presidents would do that, or even professors.
1: Well, well, I'll tell you why. Um, it's not just because um, I'm so enamored with them, which you already know I am. It's also because it's a way to encourage them to approach me on campus and to have conversations with me, as opposed to seeming like a trip to the principal's office um, by calling me Gloria from right out of the starting gate. I find that if I'm walking around campus, I'm grabbing something for lunch in our cafeteria, um, that kids often walk up to me and will tell me what they're learning in the classroom. I throw a lot of events at the president's house on campus, and I find that they're very open to conversation, not a bit intimidated, and I think that intimidation Uh, is lowered significantly by asking them to call me by my first name. I also think because I'm a non-academic president and I didn't grow up sort of through the traditional um, uh, academic ladder that I don't find the title particularly necessary.
0: Many professors I talk to, um, Especially, you know, I I try to talk to all, all kinds of different people, some working, a lot of them working on these innovation projects and some of them not. And I know some are still concerned, some professors are concerned that colleges in general, higher education is becoming too career focused. And I wonder what you would say to someone who looks at your book and the way you're, you know, your approach that you're applying there at Bentley and saying, this is, you know, a little too much emphasis on what employers might want rather than other things the academy has been, you know, you mentioned yourself, you're not coming up the traditional academic ladder all the way and all that. Um, what would you say to someone who's concerned about that aspect of your approach?
1: You know, it's an argument that I've heard um, many times over uh, over the last decade that I've been here. Um, of course, Bentley is a standalone business university, and that's uncommon in the United States, a more familiar structure in, the, in Europe. Um, but The point that I've tried to make in the book is that we shouldn't have this sort of tug and pull between traditional arts and sciences, and traditional professional focus, whether that be business or engineering or something else, that it should be an and, not an or. Um, That our graduates are able, because they have professional skill sets, both in the classroom and through internships, um, to go straight into various organizations and hit the ground running. At the same time, we give equal measure, equal importance to arts and sciences. And so they have those lifelong learning skills. They have the things that we hear from employers they desperately want with strengthened communication skills and collaboration skills and critical thinking. So this was born of some research that we did coming out of the recession. Um, when liberal arts students were not getting jobs those first several years after the global recession. Um, at Bentley, our kids were still getting jobs, but we were very proud of the fact that we were giving them this equal dose of liberal arts. And then in fact, we integrated business with the liberal arts, knowing that that was far more productive. So we did some groundbreaking research, over 3,000 respondents, a national uh, project we called Prepared You, where we asked employers, academics, parents, and students what they thought is most needed, and what we heard was a lot of confusion on the part of employers. Um, CEOs said liberal arts um, are the mainstay of being able to innovate in the workplace and being with strong communicators and those who have the longer-term success. Meanwhile, the hiring partners, the hiring managers, were asking for actual skill sets so that kids could come in and hit the ground running, particularly as companies dropped a lot of their in-house training programs um, in those years right after the recession. So fast forward, our continued research over the last four or five years has made us even more certain that the better we can integrate these professional skill sets, both again in the classroom and through internships and other types of of external opportunities for our students with deep, deep dive into liberal arts. The more we can encourage kids to double major and themselves learn through their analysis and through their own integration to figure out um, the answers to difficult problems by combining what they're learning through the liberal arts. Those very different perspectives from being able to say read a balance sheet, but applying those things. So we've really encouraged the idea of double majors, minors coupled with majors, um, and it's working really well for our graduates. And to me, it's all about a holistic education. If you're going to charge families the kind of price tags that we all do for a private uh, college education, It darn well ought to have, you know, the ability to take your child into the marketplace successfully, but more importantly, to help fully prepare them for a long and successful career and a rewarding life. And we think that there is still a place for place-based education, particularly in the United States, and that if we're going to have it, it should be the best it can possibly be. So I'm, you know, the, the... I never want what I'm arguing and prepared you to be confused with vocational education. It's not.
0: And, you know, you mentioned the, this idea of, of, of place-based, and, and I know that that's important for, for what you're up to. But um, there, there's a, a mention in your book about hybrid um Teaching. And I wanted to ask you what you meant by that, because a lot of people throw around that word and, and everyone, <laughs> everyone means something a little bit different. But it really has to do with, you know, where technology fits into some of the teaching at a place like Bentley, which, of course, um, and, and with your book, you're really trying to say at, at a lot of different where, where it fits into higher education these days in your view.
1: Yeah. You know, we did. I mentioned the updated. We keep updating our research base around what is the marketplace calling for and how should colleges be responding. And one of the things we learned with our most recent um, research with burning glass is that um, the deeper you can go with this integrative set of capabilities, the more you're matching the things that today's marketplace is calling for. For example, people working in human resources are no longer you know, purely steeped in human resource disciplines. They have to know social media. They have to have great facility with, you know, all the latest technologies. Um, They need analytical skills. They need to know where to find the information and how to apply it. Um, So, and this is true for almost everything, some permutation and combination of, again, both um, uh, technical skills and professional skill sets, but along with this broader base learning that comes um, with, uh, with liberal arts. So that also connects to technology. So for example, here at Bentley, If you're a marketing major um, or majoring in creative industries and potentially going into something in the marketing or social media space, um, you can be proficient and certified in HubSpot technology. Now, that's not because help spot technology will always be the technology. In fact, by next year, there may very or six months later, it could be something else. It's this facility with how you gain new knowledge and, and new skill sets on a constant continuing basis. And that's what we try to do over a four year period for our undergraduates is make them really facile at getting information, applying information, and learning new skill sets, um, even as they're you know, already graduating with a college degree, um, because that's what's going to be required, regardless of whether they go into the for-profit, the nonprofit, or the government sectors. We also, you mentioned something earlier that I wanted to touch on, which is this notion of, is it um, too voc-ed to bring industry onto campus. And one of the things we learned through our Prepared you research was that, in fact, one of the very best things you could do to, to constantly refresh your curriculum is to have academics sitting at the table with various organizational leaders in whatever community you're in and whatever type of school and constantly having that cross fertilization of ideas. Um, I can't tell you the number of times that outside industry across every economic sector have brought us ideas for for the curriculum. It doesn't mean they're in charge of the curriculum. Academic faculty still are. But at the end of the day, to have that input about what's happening with innovators in the outside world is a really good thing for what's being learned in the classroom. And again, I would argue that's not just for a business school. It would apply really across the board.
0: You know, you, you mentioned that survey a minute ago, the Gallup survey, I believe, which you cite a bunch in your book. And I believe it has a, a, state, uh, a statistic in there that I found surprising, which was that 29% of college graduates, only 29% said they strongly agreed that college prepared them well for life yeah. outside college. <laughs> now, that obviously, that's of higher ed as a whole. And I, I guess, you know, you're you're at a place where the culture has been you know, about business. So in some ways, um, this more question is for more outside and the the sort of broader higher education in the U S what's, what's the obstacle here. And I guess in a way your book is probably trying to, to make a case for this. What do you think that, that it is that is stopping some, um, colleges from, from doing things that are preparing or letting students feel prepared as they, as they,
1: yeah, I, you know, I think that is sort of the fundamental underlying question. Um, and I'm, Trying through the book to suggest that it's not the path I'm suggesting precisely, but that there is a pathway for every type of school. And I think that for a long time, particularly in those early years out of the recession, when I think there was a lot of defensiveness on the part, particularly of liberal arts colleges, because their kids were not getting uh, picked up in the marketplace the way they had been in the past. And, you know, that's evened out now that um, employers are, are hiring, you know, full tilt. But but I still hear from business leaders on a semi-regular basis that they don't think all kids are equally well prepared. And it's not because they picked business to study or um, history to study or English, it's that they didn't have the opportunity to learn to, generally it's because they didn't have the opportunity to apply what they were learning successfully. So you could be an English and media arts major, and if you don't do an internship, if you don't have a chance to maybe bring industry on campus so that you get that corporate immersion, business immersion experience, then you're going into the marketplace having not tried or had the chance to try any of the things that you're learning. So um, I do talk about other schools. And one of my favorites is uh, Davidson, which, you know, has become a fabulously hot college in the the United States in the last decade. And it's a terrific school. And what I admire about Davidson is that They don't have the kind of robust employer base that a school like Bentley right here in the backyard of Boston has. But what they did was they said, you know what, we can have as good a career planning office and opportunity as a place like Bentley does by tapping into our incredibly successful alumni base. And they've done that. They pair their students with alums. Now, I'm, they also pair them with other employers, but I think that's an example of taking what has been a hide tradition, you know, hidebound traditional approach to education where it's Information developed inside and then you take it to the outside world. And I'm hoping hoping that the, um, the curtains can be thrown back and a lot of light can come into campuses of all types by partnering with the larger organizational world. And again, it's not all about business. It could certainly be about NGOs and government. And, you know, in our case, it is too. We have a public policy major, I'm proud to say, given my own background. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's because we think kids should be able to take these different capabilities into to any kind of setting. And the more schools are open to this type of change, um, I really think they have to be. And here's the good news: I'm very optimistic because I think more and more in the last five or six years we've seen schools that previously were saying that we were losing this, um, this commitment to liberal arts, that we were losing a commi- we were losing the commitment to lifelong learning. I think that we've all taken a step back and said, no, we're all we all should be committed to that. But there's also a way to marry that with the outside world while students are still in school.
0: You argue for place-based, but there is this moment higher ed is entering to, you mentioned MOOCs, I believe, as well. Now there are these online options and people can get their entire degree in business or anything else online. Are you concerned at all about the online options kind of? in a, in a way, maybe doing even doing some liberal arts in there, but online options kind of eating away at at, at place based as costs go up so much for for attending you
1: know- you know, place space, particularly private place space, even with scholarships and, and funding available, um, it may not be available to everyone. And of course, I'm all about making sure that as many people as possible, as many young people as possible, can avail the resources of, of higher education. Um, but having said that, I think um, that there is going to still be in our country for uh, many years to come a strong, strong pitch for the value of place-based. And I think Gallup's research really underscores that. If you have the chance in college um, to take on leadership positions, like serving as an RA in a dorm, um, if you have the chance to work on a semester long project with a professor, as I did way back when in college, it changes your perspective on everything to have that mentoring relationship. And you carry those rewards from college into the workplace. And Gallup has found that those who've had a particularly engaged, successful college experience, not that 20. seven percent or whatever the number you quoted. Mm -hmm. But those who are on the other side of that who said, wow, I was prepared or the the percentage that are prepared. So much of that comes from a rich set of engagements while they're in college. And I don't think you can get that to the same degree through uh, MOOCs or online, although I strongly personally value online.
0: I think we'll leave it at that. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us.
1: No, thank you. It's been my pleasure. And I hope we get the chance to talk again, Jeff. This has
0: been the Edsurge on Air Podcast. Please follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast app, and send any suggestions to feedback at edsurge.com. This episode was edited and produced by me, Jeff Young. Join us next week for another conversation about the future of education. Thanks for listening.